This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily, and today we have with us Lori Lander Goodman, who uh, was on Jeopardy the same week as Kyle, well, Actually, not the same week as me, because they held me over to tape day number two. Um, but Lori and I got to know each other when we were taping Jeopardy. Uh, she was on season 35. You defeated Rick Terpstra, right? I did. Yes. I did down Rick and then faced Kyle, my nemesis. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you, and you yes. too. And yes. Um, we, we, we're very fond of him. But he did beat us both, and you know, it's okay. It's fine. It's a game. Emily, I've been thinking since they've started doing a second chance tournament. Mm-hmm. You would have been such a perfect candidate in our season had had that been an option. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly, you you were Kyle's uh, strongest competitor. Thank you. I think of you. I think there were many very strong competitors. I did have a higher Coriat score than Kyle, which is one of the things I console myself with. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. And and you played you played a great couple of games. Thank you. Yeah, um, Lori's uh, been listening to the podcast um, like really since the beginning. I think right. Yeah. Yeah. How can I not support my friends, my Jeopardy mm-hmm. friends. And uh, Lori runs a, a nonprofit in Santa Barbara County in California. Um, I love seeing, you know, the little bits that I see on social media. You're doing great work, and I'm really glad you're doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I can tell you firsthand that child care right now is brutal. It's mm-hmm. a hard business to be in, and it's super necessary. So I'm, I'm glad that we are uh, providing care to so many children and their families who just are still needing help right now. Yeah, that's really, really important and hard. It's, it's, it's just, it's rough out there right now. Yep. But you're doing great work. Well, thank you. Yeah. Anything else we should touch on or should we get into the games? Do you want to tell me about your video game play? <laughs> you really have been listening. Um, I, nothing, nothing terribly exciting. Um, oh, you know what? Uh, I started... It's a single player game, so it doesn't work so well to play through with my husband, but he also was curious about the game. So we're just sort of sitting there and like passing the controller back and forth. We're playing Hades. Um, oh, interesting. The number of games that I've played that have themes of like loss, death, and grief is maybe not surprising given my profession. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's diff- a different take on a death-themed video game than the ones that I've played before. But, you know, another one about death. Uh, the Last Campfire also was a, was a good one with themes of, you know, death, loss, and, like, emotional processing. Have you read the book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow? I haven't, but it is on my list for this year. Okay, you need to read it. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. The whole video game and dealing with loss are themes in the book. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to read it. It's gotten some endorsements from some of my favorite podcasters and social media personalities. Yes. Uh, yes. Those are the exact same people that I have heard mm-hmm. of it from. 
and yeah, it, it was delightful and good and well-written. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm guessing you're not much of a, of, a, of a gamer yourself, but I don't actually know. No, I, you know, I played some like Mario uh, stuff before my kids were born. Mm-hmm. And that was really addictive. Mm-hmm. But um, no, Noah, my son Noah is definitely a gamer. I'm constantly disappointing him when I miss uh, video game themed clues. Mm. He he has a game that he loves. It's an independent game called Binding of Isaac, which also has a lot of themes of death and also biblical themes. I'm so curious about it now. Does it? Is yeah, it a- <laughs> it's very low tech. And mm-hmm. he, um, for Mother's Day one year, the there's like a Discord chat. You know, the fans all know each other or mm-hmm. the community, and the creator issued a challenge for anyone who could get their mother to up to a certain level in the game. Like the first huh. 20, the first 20 moms would get their names acknowledged. So <laughs> I'm a good mom and I played it into like, I, I hit it and, so I was, and I was in the first 20. And so, um, for Mother's Day that year, Noah got me a mug that says top 20 mom. I like to say that I'm objectively in the top 20. <laughs> you are. You are. That is... the best mom ever, but objectively, mm-hmm. by this measure, I'm in the top 20. Mm-hmm. So that's my gaming. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Venn diagram for me of, of gaming and parenting. I, I, I love that. Um, also, I'm going to have to look that game up and figure out, is it is it on is it on the computer? Is it on like a console? Yeah, did I play it on the computer? Maybe on the Switch? Yeah, I might have to check that one out. We'll see. All right. Well, the people have gotten their video game update. Um, Do you want to talk about Jeopardy this week? Yes. So we start our uh, week on Monday, January 23rd with Anne Faircloth, a farmer from Clinton, North Carolina. Duncan Bowling, an ICU nurse manager from Washington, D.C., and Troy Meyer, who's been quite the buzzsaw, um, a music executive from Tampa, Florida, whose two-day cash winnings total $62,600. And we uh, start the Jeopardy round with the categories City Name Changes, the Oscar-winning formula, Medications, side effects, side is in quotation marks, chest pains, and boating after meals. That boating after meals category was uh, a little bit silly. Boating questions mostly, but with kind of narrative meal tie-ins. Yeah, they were really jumping all over the board. And I mm-hmm. I was definitely having a hard time keeping track of what category yeah. Was what, which is of course the point of jumping around the board. Yeah, but yeah, it does. It it can be disorienting, which you know, as you said, that's strategically that's the reason to do it. Well, Troy got off to a quick start for sure. Yeah, pulled away, hit the daily double, and just just kept uh, kept putting space between himself and his competitors from there. The second question was um, in the city name changes, which I thought was a fun category. 
And the Troy went to the $1,000 clue in his second choice. And it was an Irish town once home to this, to a famed medieval book has been known as Borth. Oh, why did I choose to say this? Canis Moore and this? And mm-hmm. the answer is, what is Kells? I feel like that is something I'd never heard of before I was in the trivia world. And one day I will remember it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there, I, I did a deep dive on the Book of Kells a while back. Um, and I still don't remember it. I, I just listened to it. <laughs> um yeah the, the book of kells it, it's interesting it's you know a an, uh, a a medieval manuscript illuminated man- manuscript of um of the gospels and it's housed in trinity college in dublin now the other thing that i'm remembering right off the top of my head about it is that there's um there's a set of irish animated movies one of which is you know f- has the book of kells as kind of one of its narrative focuses uh the secret of kells or something like that is the name of the movie it was cute i watched it with my kids i get that confused with the domesday book which i also don't really Ooh, know oh yeah I think it's like an almanac or yeah like a land survey or something i don't know i that's i i i don't have like i i haven't actually looked at it i've just heard people talk about the the domesday book which has such a cool title but apparently it's <laughs> <laughs> not actually that interesting. Speaking of death-related video games, something called the Do- Doomsday, Doomsday Book should be mm-hmm. a death-related video game, yeah. not, not a census. Right. Uh, Daily Double number one is in that city name changes category at the $600 level, and Troy finds it at pick number eight. Um, he has 3200 at this point, with Duncan at 800 and Anne at negative 200, he makes it a true daily double and gets the clue this Moroccan port city was built over a villa named Anfa, but that wouldn't have looked as good on a movie marquee. And he gets it correct. It's Casablanca. So that that puts him up at 6400 yeah, almost $6,000 ahead of his competition, eight clues in. Um, and it just gets... It just keeps going from there. He uh, ends the round at 13,600 with Duncan at 5,200 and Anne at negative 400. And our double jeopardy categories are Afghanistan and Pakistan. Now that's novel. Potent potables with P in quotation marks, TV connectors, words of peace, and hey, where'd you go? We named the podcast Potent Potables because it was a frequent Jeopardy category, but now every time it comes up, I'm like, it's because they must listen to our podcast. You know, maybe with uh, Mike producing, they do. It's not out of the question. He it's not out of the question. On social media. Mm-hmm. I think he went onto the Reddit and promoted it. Yeah. I'm not the Jeopardy Reddit, but... If you want them to know about it, that's what I, that's where I would go. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 out there in the Jeopardy fan community um, and acknowledging the Jeopardy fan community um, much more than than the previous administration. I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I've I've been really happy with his, with his work and the direction he's taking the show. You know, uh, the sixteen hundred dollar level of potent potables um, made me think of. Reese Wallace uh, was on, I think, the day before me, um, and his personality interview segment was about trying Pappy Van Winkle and you know other, various other bourbons with his with his family. Yeah, you wouldn't. I guess you wouldn't have met him because he came in, you know, no. the next day. I. It was very nerve wracking 
to sit there through the whole tape day. Well, you, I mean, you, you were a local alternate, right? So you, yeah, you taped on your second day. Um, It was nice to get to know two sets of people, you know, that it was. Yeah. I, I feel like it's, it was a huge advantage to mm-hmm. be there for a full tape day and not yeah. play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really nice people. Really nice people. Both really, times. yeah. Jeopardy, I mean, you know, there. I don't want to say every single person who's ever taped on Jeopardy is just, you know, the, the, the most delightful person. Um, but really, a really lovely group of people. And our tape day, both of the ones I was there, I really, you know, I liked the people that I got to know there. Me too. Me too. I, I thought they were smart and lovely and I feel really lucky to be part of the community. Yeah, I feel the same way. I liked the um, where'd you go category as someone who is it such a travel buff. That was fun to parse all of those clues, even though I didn't get all of them. Yeah, it was a good category. Okay, well, Daily Double number two is the 18th pick of the round, and Duncan finds it, which is a great opportunity for him. It is in the Words of Peace category, and Duncan has $13,200 at that moment, and he wagers $5,000. Troy has uh, $22,400, so that doesn't quite get him to tie Troy, but it puts him closer. I don't know. I think at the $1,200 level, I might have gone bigger. Yeah. Um, I do see that. I mean, he'd have to wager almost everything to tie Troy. And I, I see the case here for keeping your wager small enough that if you miss it, you have a chance at recovering. I might have gone I might have gone a little bigger than 5000 in his in his shoes, but... You know, I think he has a chance of getting, you know, within reasonable striking distance and, you know, and can still recover if he misses. Yeah. So the, the clue is um, from a Latin word meaning to come to a stop. It's an agreement to stop fighting and was in the original name of Veterans Day. And Duncan knows this. And the answer, the question is, what is armistice? He goes up to 18,200. Yeah. Um, And then he finds Daily Double number three on the very next pick, which is always exciting. Um, And this one's at the $1,200 level of, hey, where'd you go? Uh, Troy and Anne are exactly where we left them. um, But Duncan is now at 18,200. So he wagers 5,000 again. I I like strategically. You know, if he gets it, he'll take the lead. And if he misses, he's back where he started and the daily doubles are off the board. And his clue here is a shelter possibly built by this alliterative captain was found in the 1630s, but he was never seen again after a 1611 mutiny. He guesses who is Cook, but they're looking for Henry Hudson. So he does end up dropping back down to where he started before the daily doubles. But uh, we know that now Troy's not going to get them at least. I also guessed Cook at home. Captain Cook Mm -hmm. is alliterative, although clearly that's not what they were Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The scores at the end of the double jeopardy round, Troy is at 32,000, which is a really remarkable score for someone who didn't get daily doubles in double jeopardy. And he's got a lot game. Duncan has 13,600 and Anne is not in the red, but she is at zero. And the final jeopardy 
category is astronomy and geography. And the clue is, at the winter solstice, the sun is in Sagittarius. It once appeared in this constellation, giving a geographic feature its name. Duncan wagers 2,500 and he gets it correct with what is Capricorn. Troy wagers a conservative 3,000 and also gets it correct with what is Capricorn. Mm-hmm. And that takes us into Troy's third win and a very impressive three-day total of $97,600. Mm-hmm. 35000 for the game. That's, that's a great score. So that brings us to Tuesday, where our contestants are Linda Napakoski, an ESL instructor originally from Phoenix, Arizona, Joe Incolingo, a film and TV publicist from Los Angeles, California. Hopefully I remembered how to pronounce his last name correctly. Johnny Gilbert makes it sound so easy. And Troy Meyer, a music executive from Tampa, Florida, whose three-day cash winnings at this point, as Lori said, total 97600 And the Jeopardy round categories are Dante's Circles of Hell Defined, What Season Is It, Say It With Advertising, they're bad in books, 3.7 trillion fish in the ocean, and finding Nimoy. I, I, I thought that was a fun set of c- those last two category titles were, were uh, sort of tickled me. Yeah. I, are you a Star Trek fan? I, I'm a little bit of a Star Trek fan. I grew up watching Star Trek. I haven't watched a whole lot of Star Trek in my adulthood. And we were more of a the next generation Deep Space Nine Voyager household than like the original series. But I've seen some of the original series. Yeah, it was definitely a big thing when I was growing up, but I didn't didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, I've only watched some of the movies or the random rerun that would have been on. I'm mm-hmm. no Leonard Nimoy expert. I really enjoyed the Dante Circles of Hell. Mm, yeah. Category. That was fun. And there was a triple stamper in that category on the $1,000 level, the eighth circle of hell containing alchemists and seducers. Legally, this five-letter word is any activity that uses deception to gain money. Joe guessed usury, which is, I suppose, a fine guess. Mm-hmm. Circle of fraud. Yeah. I read Paradise Lost in high school. Not Paradise Lost, of course, The Inferno. I read both. (laughs) Paradise Lost and The Inferno Mm -hmm. in the same class in high school and don't remember and certainly don't remember any of this other than, you know, the little trivia facts. Mm -hmm. I have not actually read The Inferno. You probably don't need to. Yeah, I probably know what I need to know about it. So we have uh, Daily Devil is found in clue number eight early in the round. And Troy finds it. He is in the lead with 2,400. And he makes it a true Daily Devil, which is a wise move this early. The category is they're bad in books. And the answer is Kathy Ames kills her parents and later abandons her newborn sons, Aaron and Cal Trask, in this Steinbeck novel. And Troy knows it. It's East of Eden. Mm-hmm. And he doubles his score. Yep. East of Eden was the final Jeopardy uh, that Kyle had uh, with Reese and Christine the day before, you know, on game six, the, the, the game right before mine. So that's very much imprinted in my Jeopardy memory, um, although I've never actually read it. 
did he did he get that wrong? Did I remember? I think I think was, that he I think he got it. Ran away. He got it. He got it. But Christine and Reese missed it. I will always wonder to myself whether he accessed the name of it more easily because we had just talked about some biblical names that tied in with that book right before that right before that taping started maybe it would have i for me there's steinbeck and then it's it's either going to be east of eden right or grapes of wrath yeah grapes or, of wrath. and if it's got the bible in it it's going to be east of eden anyway the scores at the end of the jeopardy round troy is in a strong lead with 10400 joe has uh, 3,800 and Linda is at 2,600. And that brings us to the double jeopardy round. The categories are a look at symbols, January in recent history, Europe a go-go, pop culture goes to Mars, opera, and last but not least. And these are words found between last and least in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing a new thing in our house when we watch Jeopardy. Noah is tracking his score. I do you track Ooh. your do you track your score when you play? Yeah, I track as I play. I'm not sort of, you know, monitoring myself like, you know, to look for growth, you know, week to week like I like I was when I was um when I was prepping. Um but I but I play along and I track my score. Yeah. So he has a little, you know, like a little app on his phone and he tracks the first mm-hmm. round and the second round. And yep. in single jeopardy, he, after that, he asked me if I think I'm he's going to do better or worse in the next round. It's like playing blackjack, whether I'm going to hit or, mm-hmm. or <laughs> stand pat. And I always have to figure out, it doesn't really matter, but like if he's at 15, 16, I will say, oh, you'll do better next time. And, and I think yeah. he... He he had some categories he liked in this one. I could could have picked a different game, but but it's mm-hmm. fun to see him working on getting better at Jeopardy. Yeah, is he is he trying to uh, get into the the contestant pool, or is he just doing it for fun? He might be actually in the pool right now. Oh, you know, everyone in my family has mm-hmm. had the experience of being in the pool. Mm-hmm. So. He might still be in the pool. He might need, he might be ready to take the test again. Yeah. It's an exciting time. <laughs> yeah. Would it be fun if another yeah. family member got to be on Jeopardy? Yeah. I would very much look forward to seeing him play. So, so this game was good for him. What, what, uh, what categories worked especially well for him on this one? He generally does well in pop culture categories. Mm, yeah. Wordplay categories are great for him so the whole last but not least Mm -hmm. is going to be great for him those are the ones I remember he surprised me I think with the some of the opera which Mm -hmm. you know that becomes trivia canon more than right more than actually knowing opera yeah um we had a we had a fun be more specific I thought at the two thousand dollar level of opera um, the clue there was his score for Der Rosenkavalier includes several Viennese waltzes. Joe tried who is Wagner. Uh, that's not correct. Troy tried who is Strauss, and then Ken asked him to be more specific. He had to remember which Strauss, and he went for the wrong one. He tried Johann Strauss, who I don't remember what I should associate Johann Strauss with, but Richard Strauss. 
uh, is the one for opera. I sure hope Johann Strauss didn't write opera. I don't think he. I don't think he did, or at least, you know, Richard Strauss is the one more no is the one known for um, being an opera composer. I imagined Kyle sitting there yelling at the TV. Yeah, he probably also the tiny the tiny Kyle on my shoulder <laughs> um, is is uh, annoyed that this is all kind of trivia canon opera, and you don't really need, you know you just need to have memorized the same handful of tidbits that come up over and over and over again, right? Puccini opera Paris's a garret apartment in Paris's Latin Quarter. That's La Boheme. Title character of this Bizet opera. That's all. That's Carmen always going to be yep clowns is a pavlov clowns and opera is a pavlov for pagliacci so these are uh trivia chestnuts that's this is like half of the opera facts that you need to know (laughs) to uh to get almost all the opera questions in trivia that's the big secret, right? Just yep. to learn the learn those Pavlovs. Yep. So much of the Jeopardy canon. Somebody, somebody said to me, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. You need to know just a hand, just a, a handful of the most important things about every single subject on Earth. Which is why it's perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I have to think. I'm interested in everything and I am an expert in nothing. So Yep. Very much the same. And you know, I don't know. It it's fun to know a little bit about everything. Uh Daily Double number two is in the opera category at the twelve hundred dollar level, and Troy finds it at the fifth pick. Uh he has eleven thousand two hundred at this point to Joe's thirty four hundred and Linda's twenty six hundred. So he's in a very solid lead. And he uh wagers six thousand. If he misses, he'll still be in the lead. And his clue is the libertine punished is part of the full title of this Mozart opera. And he gets it correct with what is Don Giovanni. And daily double number two is the 11th pick of the round. It is found in the January in recent history category. And Linda finds it good for Linda. Mm -hmm. She has 4,200 and she makes the wager she needs to make. She wagers 4,100 and finds the clue in his 2002 State of the Union address, George W. Bush used axis of evil to describe Iran, Iraq, and this non-Mideast country. I'm going to take a little bit of, I don't think 2002 counts as recent history anymore. It's more yeah, than that's 20, 20 years, years ago. ago. Mm-hmm. But Linda knows, that, knows it, and it's North Korea. That's right. Almost doubles her score. Mm-hmm. So that, that helps her out, but uh, Troy still has a lock as we head into final Jeopardy. Um, Troy's at 32,800 with Joe at 7,400 and Linda at 10,300. The final Jeopardy category is foreign-born authors, and the clue is in the 1950s, the New York Times said this author is writing about all lust, and his lecherous narrator narrator is all of us. Um, so they all got this one correct. Who is Nabokov? Uh, so this is a reference to Lolita. Joe wagers 5,000, bringing him up to 12,400. Linda wagers 4,501. She's uh, looking to stay ahead of Joe if he goes all in. And Troy wagers 7,200. I think we're seeing a pattern here that when Troy has a lock, he likes to wager to hit a nice round number if he gets it correct, which in this case, brings him up to 40,000 for this game and 137,600 for his four days. And 
That takes us to Wednesday's game, where our contestants are Dave Mace, an attorney from Chicago, Illinois, Christina Zimmerman, a youth program coordinator from Seattle, Washington, and Troy Meyer, a music executive from Tampa, Florida, whose four-day cash winnings total $137,600. And if I remember correctly, by this time, Troy is in um, rarefied company. There are very few people who have won the first four games all with runaways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Andy confirmed that on the Jeopardy fan. Uh, yes. Only the, uh, the seventh player in the Sky's the Limit era to win their first four games in runaway fashion. And none of the previous six picked up a runaway in game number five. So we're, we're looking to see whether Troy will pull that off this game. He didn't. Spoiler, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. But boy, did he play well. Mm-hmm, he sure did. The categories are garden variety stories, three-letter responses, how do I get there, Pacino played them, you wear me out, and we grade that. H plus. Mm-hmm. Um, each correct response is two words, and I will need both of them. Yes. So they're putting an H, they're inserting an H into the word. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of wordplay category that I really enjoy and do well in. And um, I, I was pleased with myself that I got the triple stumper in that one, the $1,000 level. A restaurant with tables on this on the sidewalk adds H to the menu for a word meaning to irritate by rubbing. That is cafe and chafe. Yeah, I I was stuck thinking of bistro and couldn't figure mm. out where to put it. Yes. I don't think yep. it's having tables on the sidewalk. Yeah, I get, I get that. Yeah, adding, adding an H is tricky because often i feel like it is you know it, it, it changes things so that they don't necessarily rhyme more often than you know i don't know adding an r or whatever earth and hearth yeah. wit and with in garden variety stories for my book club we tried reading we read i didn't finish it umberto echoes um name of the rose mm. i couldn't i i hated it but it has served me so well in trivia because I always am able to pull it mm-hmm. when yeah. when it shows up. So mm-hmm. um, I guess I'm glad that I that I at least started it. Yeah, I started that one and, and couldn't get into it as well. I don't think I made it past the first 20 pages or so. Troy had a miss on the very first question. Susan Orlean wrote about John LaRoche arrested for stealing these title flowers from Florida swamps. I'm not sure what made him head for white oleander, but it was it was a little surprising to see him go into the red, albeit just for one clue, right? He 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 got back up to zero on clue number two. David got the rebound on that. It's the orchid thief. I'm guessing he didn't know, he had no idea, and he mm-hmm. pulled a book with a flower in the title. Right. I wonder if white oleander has a Florida connection as well. I don't know. I read it a long time ago. And it may. Yeah. I mean, what I remember is the daughter wanting to kill the mother who was abusive. Yeah. I have not read it um, or seen the movie, although I remember that there is a movie. So that's something. Set in California, 
Uh, Daily Double number one is in three-letter responses uh, at the $800 level, and Troy finds it. He's at $3,400 at this point. Um, it's pick number 11, uh, with Christina at $1,200 and David at $800. And Troy makes it a true Daily Double, which is sort of what we've come to expect from him at this point. Definitely the right move. Um, and he gets the clue. When it comes to food labeling, the word bioengineered is frequently replacing these three letters and he gets it correct it's gmo uh so at the end of the jeopardy round um troy is again in a very solid lead with eleven thousand six hundred. christina's at three thousand and david's at two thousand and the double jeopardy categories are book of the year classical is in the snl alumnus who how many dotted letters so they'll provide the number of dotted letters along with along with a clue, uh, I's and J's, I guess that is, um, good luck and we're all counting on you. Somehow having the number of dotted letters provided made it harder for me than if they'd just given us the clues. Yeah, it, it was confusing. I, yeah. I thought that was a confusing category. Mm-hmm. I, did, I figured out the $400, which was a triple stumper. Uh, it was four. It's what we're doing to the entire text of the clue presently. David tried what is italicize. Because they provided four, you have to provide a response with four dotted letters. So italicizing is what they needed. Or I may, I guess maybe italicization? Is that a word? I don't know. We, we were discussing that in our family, whether, mm-hmm. they, would, whether they would have to accept italicization and there we yeah. did not come to a, a agreement in the family noah says no evan says yes mm-hmm. it has four it has four dotted letters it does what we're doing doing which yeah maybe they need the verb write to the writers and find out what mm-hmm. well we do find um daily double number two the fourth pick of the round in the book of the year category, it took me through several clues to get what this category was asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they want is the name of the book that uh, that is a year. Yeah. Anyway, David finds it and he has 4,800 to Troy's 11,600 and Christina's 3,000. And he bets it all which is good a very good thing. Mm-hmm. The question is, Mark Karlansky wrote a book titled This Year of the Tet Offensive and Two American Assassinations. David knows it. It's 1968. And he moves up into striking distance with Troy. Mm-hmm. And Christina finds Daily Double number three. It's at the $1,600 level of the SNL alumnus who, and she finds it at the 23rd pick. Troy and David are neck and neck at 17200 and 16400 respectively. Christina is trailing a bit at 11800 She wagers $3,000, um, which, which will still leave her in third place if she gets it correct, but, you know, closer. And she gets the clue, in recent years, traveled the country on the only former U.S. senator currently on tour. Tour. Um, she can't come up with it. She uh, says who is Bernie Sanders rather than, you know, saying nothing. 
they were looking for Al Franken, the former senator from Minnesota. I felt for her. That's- yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't see into her brain, but like watching her, it looked like the feeling that I have when I'm like, I can picture their face, but I can't bring a name to mind, which is such a frustrating feeling in trivia because it doesn't really help to be able to picture the person's face. You know, that's, no, that's not accepted. <laughs> I, I find that when I have that, I often can pull up the first name as mm. though I'm on a first name basis with these people. Al. Who is Al? <laughs> Al. <laughs> yeah. Al. It's Al. You know Al. <laughs> Unfortunately, that doesn't count. Yep. Mm-hmm. That brings us to the end of the round where uh, Troy is in a lead, but it is not a locked position. He's got 18,400. Christina has 9,200, and David is on Troy's tail with 16,400. And the final Jeopardy category is landmarks. The clue is Pskov and Nizhny Novgorod are two of the cities that have a fortress called this. They all get it correctly. Christina wagers nothing and gets what is Kremlin. David makes a wager to just get $1 above Troy if he were to bet nothing and guesses what is the Kremlin and Troy makes a cover bet and answers what is the Kremlin. Mm -hmm. So our final um, scores, Troy is a five-day champion with a guaranteed ticket to the Tournament of Champions with 32,801. Christina finishes in third place with 9,200 and David in second place with 18,401. That's right. And that brings us to Thursday. Our contestants are John Guskowski, a planning consultant from Pomfret, Connecticut, Emma Moore, a librarian from Princeton, New Jersey, and Troy Meyer, a music executive from Tampa, Florida. And our Jeopardy round categories are 20th Century America. Let's talk about sax, baby. Working nine, two, five. Each response will be nine, two, or five, or some combination of those digits. What's in the bottle? Alliteration time and the ends of the earth with end in quotation marks. This was a fun um, set of categories, I thought. I agree. Nine to five was trickier than you might think. The number of square feet in a square yard, that that was the $200. That's nine. It's straightforward enough. But then we started getting toward trickier multi-digit numbers. In 1986, Michigan became the first state to offer a prepaid college tuition plan. Now called this, it's a 529 plan. John got that one. Um, And Troy got the number of theses of Martin Luther. That's the 95 theses. And then we had a triple stumper at the $1,000 level. A standard 88 key piano has this many white keys. It's 52. I think that the contestants probably figured out that the first digit, ha- it had to be a two-digit number, so it was 52, 55, or 59. Yeah, that's not, not good enough odds to guess. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a one in three guess, um, especially because, you know, then you're, you're narrowing it down. You're probably going to miss and narrow it down for the other contestants. I thought Ken was very funny in the let's talk about sax baby category. The $600 clue was the classic sax line from this 1984 hit number one hit by wham begins 
And then he just went, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I definitely don't have the music rights to it. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. It was very I funny. No idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was a good moment. I, I wonder what the writers were picturing when they wrote that clue. Yeah, because it's really. I mean, Wham has more than one hit. Yeah, I mean. Maybe Wake Me Up Before You Go Go is not in the is earlier. Mm-hmm. And the Christmas one, I think, is later. Yeah. But those two also come up in your mind when you think mm-hmm. of Wham. I don't know if the uh, of those two have saxophone, but like, you know, I'm, I'd be hard pressed, I think, in the amount of time that you have to contemplate a Jeopardy clue to to say conclusively. I mean, I mean, I've been thinking about it for a while now, and I still don't know whether those two have saxophone. Right, right, and you know the thousand dollar Lou Reed tune. Now, of course, for me, that's like smack in my sweet spot of music. Mm-hmm. So that, maybe that's why it seems so easy to me. But yeah. I would have flipped those in terms of what was easier and harder. Mm-hmm. Well, we find the daily double in the second clue of the game and Troy finds it. It's in the $800 spot of 20th century America. Yes. He's got a thousand and he wagers it all. And the clue is on November 27th, 1924, New Yorkers were treated to the first annual this sponsored by the world's largest store. And Troy knows it. It's the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. And he doubles his score to 2,000. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Troy is in the lead where he's accustomed to being at 9,200. John is in second with 3,000. And Emma is in the red at negative 1,600. The double Jeopardy categories are a line in the sand, languages, venomous creatures, finance and investing, B movies with B in quotation marks, and 12 letters or more. Mm-hmm. So I always enjoy seeing um, Yiddish. And mm. see Isaac Besheva Singer wrote the novel Meshuga, Meshuga. In this language, Yiddish mm-hmm. means crazy. Mm. I recognized the word, but I couldn't remember what it meant. Emma and Troy went back and forth in the in the finance and investing category. Emma got three of those, including the sixteen hundred and two thousand dollar level. I was trying to remember as I watched her do really well there uh, what her what her profession was. So librarian. So you know, not necessarily in finance, but. Clearly, you know, that's a, she, she's got some, some knowledge there. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Ethereum was, I think, a good pull. Although mm-hmm. all of crypto has been in the news lately. Yeah, that's true. I, I did not remember Ethereum, although I've been rolling my eyes at crypto stories in the news for years now. <laughs> I didn't think I would have learned the name of the cryptocurrencies, but I, I enjoyed the B-movies category. And I knew all of them, which doesn't always happen for me with movie categories. But uh, you know, they were they were movies that start with the letter B, not 
not B movies in the in the you know idiomatic sense. Uh, we had Braveheart, we had Bend It Like Beckham, we had Blazing Saddles, Birdman, which was so highly you know so high accolades for it when it came out, and I feel like it sort of has vanished. I haven't like seen. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. It was one of those. It was painful. Like you, yeah, you had to be. It was loved by critics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that. I th- yeah, but nobody actually enjoyed watching it, so we, we've let it fade. It has not especially endured. I think. Yeah, and Brazil was in there too. I haven't seen that one, but I. Yeah. Daily Double number two is the very first pick of the round, actually. It's in that languages category at the $1,600 level. And Emma finds it. Uh, she's She is at negative $1,600, uh, which is where she ended the Jeopardy round. And Troy's at 9200 and John is at 3000 She wagers 2000 the the maximum allowable, trying to get out of the hole. And the clue is this language that's official in Andorra is related to both French and Spanish. Uh, she tries... Basque, which I think is what do you call what do you call it when a language is not related to any other language that we know of or or you know not I can't remember but I think I think Basque is that whatever that's called um, so Basque is incorrect Catalan is what they were looking for oh, a language isolate is what that's called yeah ba- Basque is a language isolate so it is not related to other existing languages. That's so crazy that that can happen. Isn't it? Linguistics is so interesting. If I could do it all over again, I might study linguistics. I like studying religion, though. Well, there's plenty of language you probably had to study. That is that is true. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did Hebrew and Greek in seminary and some French and some Anglo-Saxon in college and Latin in high school. So a lot You've of dead languages. All, your ancient languages all all my ancient languages i know i should I, I say hebrew and greek and then i say dead languages and both of those have living versions but i studied i studied the you ancient studied versions the yeah take us back to the beginning of the podcast with mm-hmm. themes of that. You, you studied the dead parts yes <laughs> yes that's right um yeah so so emma really uh, trying to get out of the hole she drops down to 3600 but she does. She does eventually make it into the positive. Yeah, yeah. That was a tough game for her. Mm-hmm. We we find um, daily double number three in the twelve letters or more category, and it's the nineteenth pick of the round. And John finds it. John has nine thousand to Troy's twenty one thousand six hundred and Emma's twenty four hundred. And he does what he needs to do and makes a big wager. He wagers 8000 and receives the clue. Soren Kierkegaard has been called the father of this philosophy that emphasizes the individual as a free and responsible entity. And he knows it. I did not know this was the definition of this, but he, he knows it's existentialism and Ken, you gotta love him. He's such a fan of the show. He yeah. says, we've got a game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that's how I would have defined existentialism, but I might have been able to get it from Kierkegaard. So at the end of the double jeopardy. I just didn't do much philosophy mm-hmm. anywhere along the line. Yeah. 
So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Troy's at 24,400. John is right behind him at 22,200. And Emma is at 2,800. Probably out of contention if John knows how to wager in this situation. But knowing how to wager from second place is not guaranteed. So I mean, if I were Emma, I would not count myself out at this point necessarily. The final Jeopardy category is history. And the clue is, returning home in 1493, Columbus stopped in the Azores at an island with this name, also something he'd lost off the Haiti coast. Emma was on the right track, but she did not get it correct. She tried what is Nina. She wagered all but a dollar. So that drops her down. John got it correct, though, with what is the Santa Maria. What What is Santa Maria? Um, and he's wagered 11100 I'm not quite sure what he's thinking with that wager, except that it does give him a fun number of 33,300. Well, and it's, it's half of his score. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, again, why he picked it. It's, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's within the acceptable range, right? We're expecting that Troy's going to have to wager almost everything if he's making a cover bet. And Emma, if she goes all in, is going to end up at 5,600. And so John has a lot of room to play here. He could go anywhere from zero to, I think maybe there's a case to be made for wagering 2201 just to get above where Troy is. Now, just, I mean, in case Troy, I don't think Troy would make a zero wager, but he can he can go pretty big or anywhere in between. So, okay, you know, 11,100, sure. Uh, but it turns out it is a moot point because Troy knew it as well, or guessed, got, guessed it correctly. What is Santa Maria? And did make a cover bet of $20,001, um, giving him 44,401 and his sixth. And that's a good total score for six days. Yeah. He's had big wins. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Friday, where our contestants are Dee Williams, a research associate from Boston, Massachusetts, Jake DiArruda, a delivery dispatcher originally from Ludlow, Vermont, and Troy Meyer, a music executive from Tampa, Florida, whose six-day cash winnings totaled 214802 And I am told that both Dee and Jake are, as well as Troy, are very active in the quizzing world. Mm. And um, so those in the know, and I was not one until after, but those in the know were anticipating this, um, once they saw who was being matched up, this this is being a, an intense game. And it certainly was. Yes, it sure was. The categories for the Jeopardy round were the state's other senator, and Ken reminds us, in the new 118th Congress, mm-hmm. a dash of fashion, soil, TV time, Grimm Brothers fairy tales, and differs by a vowel. Mm-hmm. I wonder when this was taped. I guess that certainly after the election, but... Um, I would think before con- the Congress was seated. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, it. they were taping like a good couple months in advance when we were taping. I think they've gotten a little bit, you know, they coming back uh, when they were able to start taping after having to uh, take a break because of COVID. 
Um, I think they were, you know, they were airing the shows much closer to when they taped them, but but still, it's hard. It's hard to imagine that they're that they're that close at this point. Yeah, but I wonder. I liked um, the Grimm Brothers fairy tales category. Yeah, but there was a a tough miss um, for D. It was a triple stumper. The question was: um, the Grimms had this animal eat six baby goats and then get sliced open as it slept, with the meal still alive within. And D rings in and says, who is the big bad wolf? Which makes sense, but she gave mm-hmm. more than she did to. And um, in the Grimm story, the wolf is neither big nor bad. Right. Just the wolf is what just they were looking wolf. for. Yeah, that was, a, that was a tough break. I would I would certainly have said the big bad wolf. Oh, yeah. Uh, no but- question in my mind. How did you like the the word play category? I, I liked this one. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a an enjoyable one. A large British home in the country, and a college student's secondary declared discipline. That is a manner and a minor. Thought that was that was a fun one to to get to. For some reason, I started with estate as as a a, a British country home. I'm not sure why why that word came to mind. So I had to I had to get my brain to shift because that wasn't working for me. And nobody got the eight hundred dollar level, a tangible item and wretched like severe poverty. That is object and abject. I thought that was hard. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Daily double number one is in that same category at the thousand dollar level and d finds it at clue number 16 she's at 200 with troy at 38 troy and jake tied at 3800 she wagers the maximum a thousand and gets the clue the pair found in the name of a large scottish estuary that connects with the north sea she does not know it so a tough break for her it is the firth of fourth which I know it's a trivia thing and it doesn't come to me when it needs to. <laughs> now, I feel like it, it falls into the same category for me as Domesday Book, mm-hmm. Adrian's Wall, Book of Kells, all these things that I should know and I really don't know what they are. But I've heard yeah. of Stone of Scone is another one. Yes. <laughs> I know it's something. I know it has to do with the throne. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of the kind of... Things that, things that feel kind of, I don't know, medieval or earlier and British Isles, it all kind of kind of melds together in my mind. And I, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of mushy, yep. soupy, can't get it to coalesce. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Jake has the lead, which is a change for us. He's at 5,800 with Troy at 4,800 and D at 1,000. And the double Jeopardy categories are historic nicknames, country songs, 19th century science, geography, place your bets, and I owe you with OU in quotation marks. Well, I've got to say, Jake was just fast on the buzzer. Yeah. He had the timing down and he definitely knew his stuff. Mm hmm. Yeah, he, he brought a really good game. We had um, the, the very first clue of the round in IOU. This French word originally referred to a bride's clothing, linens, and accessories that she gathered before her wedding. And all three contestants tried it, and Troy was the one to get it at the end. Uh, Jake tried what's a boutique. 
it does have the OU in there, but uh, not quite right. D went for what's a boudoir, which I totally see where where that would be, you know, where, how, how that would come to mind. Um, that's not correct either. And then Troy finally gets a trousseau. So some, some big movement right at the beginning of the round there. When everybody tries a high value clue, it really shakes up the scores. It sure does. Well, D finds the first Daily Double at the 11th pick. It is in the 19th century science category. Uh, she needs that Daily Double. She's at mm-hmm. 600 at, to Troy's 10,000 and Jake's 11,800. And the clue is an 1813 work called The Elementary Theory of Botany introduced this field, the classification of organisms. She's wagered the maximum 2000 and she knows it. It is taxonomy. Mm-hmm. So she is in the game, but um, Jake just really commanded the board after this. Yeah. So by the time we get to Daily Double 3, which Jake finds at the 21st pick at the $800 level of historic nicknames, he is at 16600 He's 3400 ahead of Troy, who's at 13200 uh, with D at 6200 Jake goes for a big wager here. He makes a $10,000 wager, which, I mean, with, with Troy on the stage, you know, I think that will move him into kind of runaway territory uh, if he gets it right. And, you know, I think it's a smart move. He gets the clue, born 1910, saint of the gutters. And he gets it correct. It is Mother Teresa. And after that, there's still some clues, nine clues on the board. But Troy is uh, not able to catch up. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the double jeopardy round... Jake is in the lead and a commanding lead with 27,800. Troy's at 15,600. And D is theoretically still in it. Probably not because Jake doesn't really have to bet very much. Yeah. And we could, I, I would expect that, that Jake and Troy both know how to wager in this situation. Yeah. You know, when you're in a distant third, you're sort of hoping that somebody doesn't quite get all of the details of wagering math nailed down. Yeah, but I, I I would not be super hopeful about that with these particular contestants on the stage. No, nope, me either. And the the category is world cinema, and the clue is the two thousand seven biopic called La Môme in France, meaning the kid, was released in the U.S. under this other French title, and this one is a triple stumper. Uh, she guesses what is La Fille, wagers nothing, so she stays where she is. Troy guesses what is Hugo, and he has wagered everything, so he drops down to the zero. Mm-hmm. And Jake guesses what is, and then he, he doesn't have anything. And mm-hmm. he's wagered 5,003, but... He doesn't have to wager very much to protect himself, and um, he wins. The correct answer was La Vienne Rose, and um, the final scores are Troy with Troy in third place, D with sixty six hundred, and Jake wins with twenty two thousand seven hundred ninety seven, and he is the new champion. Yeah, I thought that Troy's guess of Hugo 
was um, was a smart guess here. Obviously not correct, but I I see you know, Hugo. I mean, it wasn't a biopic, but it had you know histor- It had characters who were real historical figures. I see the connection with the kid, right? Because there's like a child protagonist. Um, I see like you know uh, the France connection. So I I see where you know. I mean, it's a tough clue because yeah, I don't know. It's I, I, I have a hard time remembering movies from 2007, right? And uh, yeah. I haven't seen La Vie en Rose. I think it was, you know, I think it was reasonably successful and well-reviewed and, you know, uh, you know, clearly clearly a tough clue. And I thought Hugo was, was a smart guess. I thought it was a very reasonable guess, but mm-hmm. I, it was a tough day. It was a tough final jeopardy. Yeah, which works out well for Jake, given the situation that they were in. Yeah, so we'll see Jake back on Monday. Um, and this is the break in the middle of the episode where we remind you that we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash potentpotables, where if you want to help us offset the costs of making this podcast, you can uh, sign up to send us a couple bucks a month. Uh, we have a little bit of an exclusive content on there. We put the quiz questions up when we when we can. Lori, Lori has the quiz this week, so uh, I'll see if I can get the quiz questions from her to put them up there for our for our supporters and thank you to those of you who are uh helping us out on patreon and of course we like to acknowledge at the same time that there are more important things in the world than um than our very important podcast so you can find a few of our favorites in the show notes so Lori, you have a deep dive today do you want me do you want me to try and guess okay are we are we talking about La Vian Rose or Edith Piaf by any chance? Are not. Okay. I don't suppose we're talking about the Firth of Fourth. No, that would have been good. Yeah. What about Henry Hudson? No. All right. So what are we talking about? Uh, we didn't. We didn't talk about it at all. So it wouldn't have been necessarily on your radar. This is from the Tuesday game, the Double Jeopardy round. In the Europe Agogo category, Ooh. and the the question was: This isolated region on the Peloponnese became synonymous with a rural paradise to Greeks and Romans alike. It was Arcadia right? Arcadia. The answer is: What is Arcadia? And having just been to Greece and been on the Peloponnesian Peninsula, I thought I would. Do a little bit on Arcadia and Peloponnese. That sounds great. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of time, so this will be fairly quick. But I was thinking the first time I guest hosted, I had just been to Egypt and I was gifted a a good Mm -hmm. uh, ancient Egypt clue that was a triple stumper. So this felt felt like it was the right thing to do that would tie in with my travels. Perfect. So Arcadia is um, is a region in the central Peloponnese. And the, the Peloponnese is a large peninsula that's linked to the northern territory of Greece by the Isthmus of Corinth. So there's sort of Greece and then a very narrow Isthmus and mm-hmm. then the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And Arcadia is smack in the middle on the highland. It is bordered on the north by Achaia, 
To the east, it borders with Argolis and Corinthia, and to the south, it borders Laconia and Mycenae. And there's just so much ancient civilization in this part of the world. Um, the Peloponnesian Peninsula has been inhabited since prehistoric times. The name Peloponnese means the island of Peops. They thought it was an island, even though it was a peninsula. And it hmm. comes from the mythical king Pelops, who was thought to have unified the region. There are many Bronze Age settlements there, the Mycenae, Argos, and the Tyrans. Sparta is from there. And it's the origin, of course, you've heard of the Peloponnesian War, but also the Trojan War. Mm -hmm. And then when you continue in, in that area, of course, there's also just a lot of ancient early Christian, I shouldn't say ancient, early Christian stories of um, Paul preaching, Saul, Paul. We, we got to see some of that. So it's, a, it's an area rich in history. But I'm mostly going to just focus on Acadia. So in myth or in this clue, they're talking about Acadia as an image of utopia, of the pastoral ideal. And it's, it's really considered to be a place to, to symbolize harmony with nature. The topography is mountainous and lush and so artists would would use that as their imagery. Um, it's a poetic byword for an idyllic vision of unspoiled wilderness. You see that concept of Arcadia in Renaissance mythology as well. It's seen as sort of a lost Edenic for form of life. And the inhabitants of Arcadia were regarded as having continued to live after the manner of the golden age. With, without the pride and greed that corrupted other regions. So there's a sense of the noble savage mm. of Arcadia. In Greek mythology, Arcadia was the domain of Pan, the god of the forest, and his court of dryads and nymphs and other spirits of nature. In the Renaissance, Arcadia was a popular artistic subject, and you see it referenced in music, painting. And so some examples are the composer W.S. Gilbert used the concept of Arcadia in his musicals, mm -hmm. um, Happy Arcadia and Iolanthe. Iolanthe, yeah. I played in the pit orchestra for Iolanthe way back. Aha! The German painter, painter Wilhelm von Kalbach produced an etching named Faust and Helena in Arcadian, um, where Faust and Helena are shown in the Arcadian Grove. In more modern times, there's we see Arcadia showing up in Evelyn Waugh's um, subtitled first part of his novel, Brideshead Revisited. Mm -hmm. Gabriel Garcia Marquez in A Hundred Years of Solitude. Mm. The over the course of the novel, Arcadio, Arcadio becomes the multi-generational pat patronym. And it, again, is a reference to the utopian paradise. Oh, in the anime series, Captain Harlock, the ship in which he travels is known as the Arcadia. Huh. Yeah, uh, this um, 
continues in the 1985 novel Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, which I think was um, the Yeah, it came up very recently, right? Um, Yes. The the character Judge Holden names his rifle Et in Arcadia Ego. Um, So, and here's another tie-in to a clue this week. Uh, the 1985 band Arcadia was a spinoff of uh, Duran Duran. Mm. There you go. Um, in 1993, Tom Stoppard wrote Arcadia, um, a play involving themes of classic beauty and origin, order in nature. In fantasy literature, Arcadia has been used as a magical realm and um, a fictional universe in which the story occurs. In the movie Resident Evil Extinction, characters seek to travel to Arcadia, Alaska, which is supposed to be free of zombies. So that that sounds pretty, pretty mm-hmm. utopian. No zombies. <laughs> A number of RPGs, role-playing games, use the idea of Arcadia. It's either like a separate realm within the multiverse, like Arcadia in the Dungeons and Dragons universe, mm-hmm. or as the central focus of an entire game system. As in White Wolf's Changeling, the Dreaming Game. So the image of Arcadia has continued and nobody knew it. Hmm. So, and then here we go. The last one, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't have a, uh, a Doctor Who reference. Arcadia is the name given to the second city of the Time Lord's home planet Gallifrey in, the, in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So... Those are, that's all, everything that I could find out about Arcadia <laughs> in between all of my, uh, my work. It wasn't, wasn't the most deep of deep dives, but a little bit more. Yeah. And it was fun to, fun to pull the pieces together. All the, all the, you know, sort of Arcadia references from, uh, you know, pop culture and fine arts and, you know, mythology, like uh, this is, it's, it, this has been, this has been lovely. Thank you. Wow. It's, it, you're very kind. Emily, are you ready for a quiz? I sure am. Let's have a quiz. Okay. So the, the title of this quiz is It's All Greek to Me. Okay. And the first question is, I, I have never belonged to a sorority, but mm-hmm. there's several here at, at UC Santa Barbara. What is the rhyming term? that refers to a seven-day celebration of fraternity and sorority pride. A seven-day celebration of fraternity and sorority pride. I would assume that is Greek week. It is Greek week. You've got 10 points. Yay. All right. I tried to go from easy to hard. So we'll, we'll All see. All right. Um, The Greek chorus is a theatrical device originating in ancient Greek theater and involving a small group of performers who are usually unrelated to the central action of the story, commenting on the central action of the play. What 2019 Tony Award winner makes both metaphorical and literal use of the Greek chorus? Hmm. 2019 metaphorical and literal i i'm not confident about the year but i think it's hades town it is hades town that is the last show i saw on broadway i Mm. was in new york i didn't get to see you but it was january of 2020 and that's right that's right yeah oh 
It was so good. I really, I want to see it on Broadway. I saw it when it was, I mean, before the Broadway version. I saw it like in some like weird little experimental theater um, before it, you know, before it moved to Broadway. Um, And it was wonderful. But I I would really like to see the Broadway version. I think that, you know, that's, it's, it's a great show. It was, it was really original, different. It was great. Mm -hmm. And we, we saw the original cast. It was early enough to mm-hmm. get the original cast, which seems to make a big difference. Question three. Who is the actor or comedian who is known for his Greek diner sketch in SNL and with the catchphrase, no Coke, Pepsi, and also for chanting toga, toga on Animal House? Oh, who is that? Belushi is coming to mind. I'm going to go with him. I think I know his first name, but I'm just going to go with last name only for safety. That is smart. It is Belushi. And he does have a brother. And I was going to give it to you as long as you went with the last name. John John Belushi. That's right. Thank you. That's what I, that's what I thought. And then I was like, I am not a hundred percent confident on John. So let's, let's just stick with Belushi and see if we can see if we can get away with that. So I have two, two choices for my, for my fourth question. Okay. You want the the one that I think is easier or the one that's a video game related question? Oh goodness gracious. I mean I'm not I'm I'm, I'm newish with the gaming, but you know what? The, the people like the video game content. Give me the video game. Does does the one I don't choose become the final question? No, 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 no. Okay. I have a final question. Okay. Um yeah, let's let, let's go with the video game question. I'll I take a it's challenge. A fun, it's a more fun question and it's um I'll give you a hint if you want. Okay. Um, I have a, a hint, special hint just for you, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to ask in, for it then. Installments subtitled Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire are remakes of games in what popular video game series known for paired releases? Do you want your hint? Yeah, give me the hint. Okay, your hint is that Kirby is not part of this franchise. Lori, it's it's Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> yep, Kirby is not not a Pokemon. <laughs> I feel like you could do like a whole game on not a Pokemon. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could do some Digimon. When my kids were little, I was required to, mem- I was quizzed on Pokemon. That was what would happen in the car. What yeah. we evolved into. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids were five when they came out, three and five. So Pokemon was very much a, a parenting requirement. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Pokemon are currently in vogue at my kids' elementary school. So the first graders do not care about whether cards are counterfeit or not. And in fact, they sort of prefer the counterfeit cards because they have like, you know, the really juiced statistics that are never, you know, like never exist on the real cards. And then the fourth graders are just, just absolutely scorn the counterfeit cards. Those are not real. Come on. What do you take me for? <laughs> it's funny to see sort of the two different grades cultures around them. Oh, Yeah. I don't remember where this story came from, but I remember being told about a friend's kids 
I think in kindergarten or first grade that their teacher had them do pokey mom cards for Mother's Day. They gave their moms their stats and their Uh fighting ability. That's great. Pretty cute. Okay. Question five. No quiz about all things Greek would be complete without a reference to my big fat Greek wedding. Most trivia folks know that it starred and was written by Mia Vardalos, um, but it was produced, you may not know, it was produced by a Hollywood couple. This actress of Greek heritage who appeared in That Thing You Do, Jingle All the Way, and Sleepless in Seattle, and her arguably much better known husband, who is currently promoting his new film, an adaptation of the book, A Man Called Ove. So the film is not A Man Called Ove. The film is a different name, but that's the book adaptation. Mm-hmm. Name both members of the couple. Oh, no. That thing you do. So I will tell you, she appeared with her current hus- with her husband in That Thing mm-hmm. You Do and in Sleepless in Seattle. So there's there's a little bit of a hint. Okay. She didn't play opposite him, but she appeared in the same film with him. Okay. Um, I, I think the man is Tom Hanks, and I cannot remember who he's married to. And I'm trying to see if I can sort of get the actress separately, but I may just not be able to place her. I feel like I can sort of picture her, but not really. (laughs) I watched that thing you do like a hundred times. Let's see. Um, Who was in that? Let me see if I can come up with a hint or a prompt. Oh. So you're you're correct about it being complex. And his wife's last name is prominently featured in one of the films that uh, that she's not in it's pretty much all tom hanks yeah but uh, uh pretty much it, her name is prominently featured is pretty much all tom hanks i hmm, i still i i can't remember who she is but i'm just i'm gonna guess wilson and go with that you got it <laughs> yes Rita, Rita Wilson. <laughs> oh. all right so you you got them all 50 points Ooh. How much do you want to wager? Oh, do we have a category? Um, it's still the same category. It's all Greek. To oh, me. all Greek to me. All right, let's wait. Let's wager all fifty. Go for it. Go big or go home all here. Right. Okay. What plant, a common ingredient used as an herb or spice in dishes in India, with leaves consisting of three small leaflets, fits the category? Um. I think that you are talking about fenugreek. Yeah, fenugreek is my guess. You got yes. it. Yay. All right. Congratulations. Woohoo. 100 points. 100 points. And a great quiz. It was it's all Greek to me. Well, this has been lovely as always, Lori. So thank you so, so much um, for, uh, for, for being our guest here on the podcast. Well, it's my pleasure. I enjoy it. It's very nice to catch up with you. And you as well. And um, say hello to Kyle. I certainly will. And he, he sends his greetings. 
Well, listeners, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are fans of Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week. And Kyle will be back uh, with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Bye.